the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, the synagogue leaders in Corinth try to get Paul in trouble with the Roman authorities. However, things don't go according to their plan. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 18, verse 12. The title of the message is, Start the Right Fire. Well, the theme of the book of Acts, remember, is Jesus is still working. And uh, he's been working in Paul's life as we saw that Paul was extremely frustrated by, once again, a faction has opposed him. And uh, he, he throws him the towel and then the Lord comes to him and says, don't be afraid, Paul. And don't stop speaking. You keep it up. Keep going for it. And the Lord grants Paul a great open door. So for a year and a half, here it says in Acts 18, verse 11, he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Things are going so well in Corinth right now. And during this year and a half, a healthy church is established and tons of discipleship is occurring. But after that time is done, Paul's detractors have had enough and they riot. And while God's promise was put to the test at the beginning, it appears Corinth uh, really is going to go the way of the other cities and their desire to destroy Paul. Uh, but despite God's promise to Paul, if there was ever a time to fret, it would be now. We read in our scripture reading it three times in Psalm 37, it says, fret not. The word there for fret, it means to be hot to be kindled. And it means here to rile, rile yourself up until you're good and angry. Anybody here ever done that? Yeah. No, I didn't think so. so. And you know, Paul, that's what happened in the early part of this chapter. And he had riled him up to this mentality that you know, when he told the Jews he was done with them, I'm just through with you guys, I've had it. And sometimes we get to fretting as well. We, we get rile ourselves up. We get so frustrated by the things we see. And, and then we just kind of become a fire-breathing dragon for about three hours and woe to anything on our path. And so as we see God bring Paul through this new trial, may it show us that only harm comes from riling ourselves up to the point of anger. But there's a, a beauty to be found in resting in him in all that we do. So Acts 18, beginning in verse 12. So after this year and a half goes by, it says, when Galileo was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul. And they brought him to the judgment seat, saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, Galileo said unto the Jews, if it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. 
But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, then you look to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him before the judgment seat. And Galileo cared for none of these things. Well, here we see that Paul's fear appears to be coming true. It mentions uh, that the time that this happens is when Galileo was the deputy of Achaia. Galileo is a famous individual in Roman history. He was the brother of Seneca, who was the Roman Stoic philosopher who tutored Nero. Um, he served as the Roman proconsul here of Achaia, as it says here, from 51 to 53 AD. And he would be very well acquainted with the politics of Rome and the goings on there. And so he would already be aware of the order for the Jews to be exiled from Rome and that they were kind of out of favor with the current Caesar. And so his reaction here is kind of with that in mind. Now, the poor guy was actually executed by Nero in 65 AD because of his brother Seneca's involvement in an assassination attempt. And so that just reminds you, if your brother ever gets too crazy about assassinating, you might want to change your name or something. So the Jews here, it says they made insurrection. They assault Paul with one accord. They, they rush on him and they drag him before the judgment seat. And Paul's probably thinking, here we go again. Here we go again. Verse 13, their accusation, they said, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And, and the word there, persuade, is not in the good idea. The idea of you want to persuade someone to your cause means to stir people up through your persuasion, usually from a wicked motive. This guy is a bad guy. He's stirring people up to do bad things and to worship God contrary to the law. Now, Roman law allowed Jews to make proselytes as long as they weren't bugging Roman citizens. You could bug anybody else. So as long as Paul didn't irritate any Roman citizens, they really didn't have a case. And since this is a Jewish mob, of which most probably wouldn't have been Roman citizens, they have no legal accusation. And so in verse 14, it mentions that Paul is about to open his mouth. In most cities, Paul didn't even get a chance to defend himself due to the mob's rage. And the cool part is he doesn't have to here. He's about to open his mouth and Galileo steps in and ignores him and turns to the Jews, this group of angry people, and he deals with them. Now, can you imagine Paul's thoughts? It would have been very easy for him to think, here we go again, or look for the nearest exit. Start making your get-out-of-town plans in your head. But God made him a promise. And God doesn't break his promises. Do you believe that? That God doesn't break his promises? You know, Numbers 23, verse 19, the Lord speaking to Moses, or speaking through Balaam, says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and he shall not do it? Or has he spoken, and shall he not make it good? In Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, Paul tells young Titus, this young pastor, he says <clears throat> that we have hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. This eternal life, he cannot lie, and he promised it to us before the world began. But it says, in due times, he has manifested his word through preaching. I think what we struggle with is the due times, because we want the due time to be now, right? <laughs> I want due time to mean right now, because I'm in pain or difficulty or hardship right now. And sometimes it is, like in Paul's case here. Sometimes God comes in right then. But other times, the Lord exhorts us through David in Psalm 37 to what? Don't fret. Cease from anger. Rest in the Lord. Commit your way unto him. Trust in the Lord and do good, right? 
Sometimes that's what the Lord says to us. He says, I'm coming in due time, but for now, rest in me. Trust in me. Do what's good. Commit your ways to me. And so Gileo turns to the, this mob and he says, if it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, these are the idea of basically saying if he committed a real crime, if he'd been a real criminal, you'd have a case. But he says, you don't. Verse 15, but if it's a question of words and names, if it's just a disagreement and a debate you're having about words and names or of your law, he says, then you look to it for I will be no judge of such matters. And he drove them. They must have objected to his refusal to hear the case because he had to, by force and threat, get them to leave this judgment seat where he took cases. And so they had to go. And then it says they beat this guy Sosthenes, which we'll get to in a moment. But do you feel the contempt in his words? Doesn't he just sound like a guy who's really annoyed? Why are you wasting my time? He seems extremely annoyed that they would bring a religious debate before the court of the world. Do you realize how public arguments between Christians annoy the world? They disdain us for it. Because they say, you guys talk about how God loves and how you're supposed to love each other and y'all can't even get along on Facebook. It always breaks my heart to see the inflammatory things Christians say to each other on social media. It's like all the biblical principles of how we treat one another go out the window in the name of a personal crusade. What was one of the chief characteristics of Jesus's ministry? He avoided the spotlight, right? Everywhere he went, he avoided the spotlight. People would be like, oh man, I know who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. And he'd say, don't tell anybody. Talk about bad marketing. Not exactly a follower of the uh, you know, current trend of church marketing techniques, right? Church growth techniques. The apostles, they did the same exact thing. They avoided the spotlight. But Christians seem to clamor for it on social media. We want to light ourselves on fire so everybody can see and everybody can know, right? We want to change the world one Facebook post at a time. Colossians 3, turn there with me. I remember there used to be a meme that was out there for a while. This little bubble, and you could tell it's the, it's the wife in the bedroom and said, honey, you're going to come to bed? And you know the guy's sitting in front of a computer. He's like, no, someone is wrong on the internet. <laughs> Colossians 3, verse 12, all the way to 17. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, Kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. And if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness or maturity. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Listen, can you pray? Oh, thank you, Jesus, for allowing me to blast my foolish and wayward brother on Facebook. Your peace is ruling in my heart and I worship your name, our deliverer. 
I think not. Colossians 3, 6, right before he gets to this, he talks about putting off certain things. And he says in Colossians 3, 6, for which things sake the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. These are the reasons God's wrath is upon the lost. We're supposed to be different. What if we all made an agreement here today to stay out of social media arguments, criticisms, and quarrels, and to handle those situations one-on-one in private like the Bible says? like the Bible commands us to. I bet the world would see something different in us instead of heaping on a flogging. Look at what they do to this guy, Sosthenes. It says in the Greeks, and that's a reference there to the Gentiles there, they realize Galileo is just, he's had it with these guys. And so they take this guy, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and it says they beat him right there in front of the judgment seat. And Galileo Cared for none of these things is a Greek idiom that means he, he looked the other way with a blind eye. He pretended like it wasn't even happening. It would be wrong. It's wrong as a Christian to rejoice in the demise of another, even a wicked man. But talk about God turning the tables. Paul doesn't get the beating this time. This was the least expected outcome for Paul. And the Lord takes care of him. God keeps his promise. We were saying that song about him being our deliverer. There's a verse in the, in the Bible that says, God knows how to protect the righteous. Do you know that? He knows how to protect the righteous. God's not scrambling, you know, and figuring how are we going to deal with, the, with the, you know, what the Supreme Court is saying and, and how are we going to deal with, you know, all these different trials that are coming our way. God knows how to deliver the righteous and protect us. And so that also means if he's allowed pain or difficulty in your life, he has his reasons, doesn't he? He has his reasons. The world hates us already, okay? And, and I say this, and maybe if you're not a believer here, you're like, man, that's so rude. I, don't, I mean the idea, the philosophy of, of the world. I don't mean necessarily just individual people. It's, it's antagonistic towards what we say, because, I mean, think about it. If you say, hey, wait till you get married to be intimate, you know, that goes against the general hormonal draw, right? That, that's not, if, if I'm just gonna do what I want to do, that's not necessarily going to be my natural bent, you know, stay at the job to work on things and, and make it a better environment because that's what God's called you to do or take that promotion that's lucrative. The natural tendency is to go, I have to do what's best for me. I'm gonna take that lucrative position even though God may be calling me to stay here because that's my best realm of influence. It's upside down. They get annoyed by those things enough because they wanna do things their own way. We don't need to heap on extra floggings by our unloving behavior. Well, this guy Sosthenes is kind of an interesting character. We're going to meet him sometime in the next seven years when we get to 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> it's a very uncommon Greek name, and he's mentioned as a brother in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. So it appears he got saved at a latter time. And that may be a reminder to us, don't ever give up on the hard-hearted. Don't ever give up on the hard-hearted. You never know what God might be doing. Verse 18, Paul, after this, he tarried a, there yet a good while. The word there is actually the Greek word for days. So he stayed there for a few more days, so not too long. And then he took his leave of the brothers and he sailed from there into Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Centria, for he had a vow. 
So he stays there for a few more days, maybe a week or so, and then he starts heading towards Syria. Now, Syria was the Roman province where Antioch, his home church, is located. So this means that Paul is about to bring his second missionary trip to an end. He's heading back home. Now, he doesn't go home alone because we find later on that Timothy and Aquila and Priscilla as well. But what's interesting is we don't see Silas going back with him. Now, remember, that's who started the trip. Just like Paul and Barnabas went out the first time, Paul and Silas went out the second time, but Silas actually does not return home. In fact, we will never see Silas again in Acts. Now, we know from 1 Peter that he eventually makes his way to Rome, where he teams up with Peter at the church there. Now, I think that's interesting because it's sometimes God does show us a change of plans in the middle of our current mission. The fact that I'm here is a change of plans from what I ever expected that God would have in my life. I always thought I would die in the church I planted. That's what I thought. I never thought God would do anything different. I remember about a year ago before Pastor Gibb announced his retirement that I, I remember I said to Bev, I said, you know, I, I just don't understand how these people move around all the time. I said, you know, you, you, know, you need to kind of grow where you're planted, you know? And, you know and, and she said, well, you think God never calls someone somewhere different? I guess, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, sometimes God does change his plans. Well, that, that must mean that he's not, you know, that he, that he didn't mean what he said. No, 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 no. You, you need to understand the Lord, okay? <clears throat> sometimes the Lord moves us out of our zone, out of the place where we're very comfortable, where everything seems to fit, and we would never normally move under any other situation. And so the Lord says, I'm gonna kind of stir the nest up a bit to get you out. And so he might grab our attention with something over here and we go, ooh, okay, that's what I'm supposed to do. And then we kind of get over there and he's like, oh, now that you're out of the nest, you know, I'd like to move you over here. And so the Lord, he, it doesn't say the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. It doesn't say where those steps go. Sometimes they go a different direction. And so Silas stays and Paul heads home. And he mentions here that when he got to Centria, uh, Corinth doesn't have a port on the east side of that, that Achaia area. So those heading east would, would leave from Centria. So, so he comes to Centria there, and it mentions when he gets there, he takes some time to shave his head because he had made a promise to God. Now, it's very common for Jews in that day to make private vows to God because of some special mercy he'd showed to them or some special commitment they were making to him for a period of time. The most notable one, of course, we see in the scriptures is the Nazarite vow, right? And, and they would make a, a, a vow to God and for a period of time, they would serve him. And so they would let their hair grow and they would have a few other things they would abide by. And then at the end of that vow, they would go to the temple and their head would be shaved and then they'd actually take the hair and put it on the altar. And the idea was, is that time, that period of commitment, Lord, that was for you. And so they'd burn the hair on the altar and then, you know, he'd grow his hair out again. And so what's interesting is this cannot be a Nazarite vow because your head had to be shaved at the tabernacle or the temple. So it's, this is likely just something very private between Paul and God, maybe in thankfulness for the blessing God had given to him in Corinth, the favor God had shown him there. I don't know. Maybe he had made a commitment to see it through to the end. Maybe that's why. And so now that he's left Corinth, he's going to shave his head. I, I'm not sure why Paul did it. When we get to heaven, we can ask him. But some of you might be kind of sitting there and going, wait a second, Will, time out. You can't just kind of say that and then go on. I thought we're not under the law anymore. Why would Paul take a ceremonial vow? That answer is actually not too complicated. He's Jewish. 
for him, all these vows and rituals had very deep meaning to them. We're going to see in a moment that he's not going to stay long in Ephesus because he wants to get to the Passover feast. Does he have to go to the Passover feast? No. Did he celebrate the Passover feast all the time? No, he didn't. But it's, he was a Jew. It was something that had deep meaning to him. He saw Christ all over these things. And so in his mind, they had deep meaning. And he didn't have to take a vow, but it was part of how he related to God culturally. I mean, what if all of a sudden I just started praying all the time with my eyes open? You'd probably be like, that's a little weird, Will. Now, is there anything wrong with praying with your eyes open? No, biblically not. But our culture tends to say, bow your head, fold your hands, close your eyes. So it has meaning for us because we tend to think I'm focused. I'm, I'm really just want to zero in on God. I want to be reverent, you know? And we would normally think of someone getting up there with their eyes open praying. That's not very reverent. Is it not? No. But culturally, it, those Physical actions tend to have meaning for us. And in the same way, shaving his head and taking a vow had meaning for Paul. So you don't need to make vows and shave your head. Verse 19, and he came to Ephesus. And, and Ephesus is the closest major port city right there on the, the province of Asia. It's the capital of the province of Asia. Remember, he had tried to go there earlier, but God had forbidden him. Remember, he, can't, he tried to go that way. God said no. He tried to go further east, northeast, and God said no, and eventually ended up in Europe. And so at this point in time, the Lord does open the door. And so he gets to come here into Ephesus and he ministers in Ephesus. He came to Ephesus and it mentions that he left Aquila and Priscilla there. So they don't come all the way back to Antioch with him. But he himself entered into the synagogue and he reasoned with the Jews, just like he normally did. And when they desired him to tarry longer time with them, he consented not. But he bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that comes in Jerusalem, but I will return again unto you if God will. And so he sailed from Ephesus. It was the winter of 53 AD at this time, so the closest feast is Passover. That's what he's heading forward to. And like I said, the early Christians didn't feel the need to be at every feast. Paul missed quite a few on this three-year trip. He was never in Jerusalem during that time. But it was a part of their heritage. And Paul, you know, he saw Jesus as fulfilling the Passover feast, that he's our Passover lamb. He'll say that later on in one of his letters. And so for him, it was a time of great worship. Um, no Christian should ever feel pressure to keep the Jewish feasts. Paul's own words are very clear in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. He says, let no man therefore judge you in food or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So if you want to do that because it has meaning to you, go for it. But don't feel pressure to, or you're more Christian or, or more close to God if you do do those things because we're close to God on what basis? The substance, right? Christ and what he did for us on the cross. Well, they want him to stay longer. Again, God grants him favor here as well. In fact, we are entering into really the golden period of, of Paul's ministry, a time where God gave him great fruitfulness. And, and so in this, they want to hear more. We want to hear more about this Jesus you're telling us about. And Paul says, I can't. I got to keep this feast. But I will return again to you if God wills. And I love Paul's mindset here. He says, I want to come spend more time with you, but in the end, whatever God wants, that's what I really want. Well, God did want Paul to return, and he'll end up spending three years ministering in this amazing city. Three years where he can just disciple them and build that church. And we'll get to that in chapters 19 and 20. Verse 22, and when he had landed at Caesarea, that's right there on the uh, 
coast of Israel. And he had gone up, that's to Jerusalem. And you always go up to Jerusalem. Anytime you're leaving Jerusalem, you're going down. He'd gone up, celebrated the feast is what's in there. And then he saluted the church there at Jerusalem. From there, he went down to Antioch, even though Antioch is north, you're going down in elevation. And anytime you leave Jerusalem, the Jewish mindset was you're going down. That's the place you want to be. And after he had spent some time there at Antioch, his home church, he departed and went over all the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. So he stays in Antioch for about three quarters of a year. And there's no mention of him getting back to, into teaching or evangelism at Antioch like his previous return. In fact, uh, Paul was back on the move quickly and he visits those same churches that he and Barnabas had planted years ago in the eastern half of modern day Turkey. And so he goes there and it says he strengthens all the disciples. The word there means to cause someone to become stronger or firmer in their beliefs. This is why we place such emphasis on Bible teaching in our services. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. In that chapter, it explains the purpose of pastors and evangelists. It, it describes why we gather together. And it's for the purpose and the goal of being mature and complete until we're to the point where we're just like Jesus. Anybody just like Jesus yet? And you got to come to church still, you know? got to come to church. I heard it all. Good, but you're not like Jesus yet, so keep coming. Apparently it hasn't all sunk in. So, But we need to be taught God's Word. We need to be strengthened. I need to be strengthened. I'm constantly listening to teaching so I can be strengthened in my faith so we can be more like Jesus. That's why we place such emphasis on it here. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407 523 0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.